Show presents Scratch It Track. The podcast where we debate which track to scratch off some of the most known and unknown albums of all time. We live in an era of singles. This is an album. People no longer listen to an album for the work it truly is. It kind of defines a band. It's just not something that people relate to nowadays. We've all gotten the dreaded. Started out as a game. Which track on the album would would you scratch out if you had to? Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another exciting episode of Scratch a Track, presented by the Dude and Grim Show. I am the Dude, and with me, as always, is Grim. How you doing there, Grim? You got your cherry flavored antacids ready? Yeah, I'm here. Got the antacids ready. Um, yeah, ready with Sip- some Penny Royalty. I was gonna say, are you sipping? I'm not. I'm, I'm sipping on something a little different than Penny Royalty, but. You know. Me too, but uh, well, for this one, for this Scratch a Track episode, we'll take it. Yeah, I'm. I'm just feeling. I'm feeling very ape right now. Very yeah. ape. Yeah. Uh, I mean, uh, if people haven't gotten, uh, well, I'm sure you saw in the title, but if people don't know what album we're talking about, it would be uh, Nirvana's third studio album, and that is In Utero. My my favorite one. I mean, I I know that Nevermind was a huge hit, their biggest album, but. It was. I don't know. For for me, this uh, well, yeah, bleach <laughs> incesticide. That was and, not a studio <laughs> album. That was B sides and covers and other yep. things. But but yeah. for me, this to me, in my opinion, I guess this was the one that really um, felt the most like them. If sure, that makes sense. Yeah, I, I that 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 does make sense. It makes perfect sense. Um. Yeah, I. It's interesting because Nirvana, or Nirvana, <laughs> never mind. Uh, everybody knows smells like Teen Spirit, Come as You Are, uh, Lithium, a bunch of, I mean, bunch of really really good songs. But from everything I read and the documentaries I've seen, the band and a lot of people actually felt like it was it was it was really poppy and it had a, a poppy feel to it. That's kind of how people described it. And well, that's and I fair. Think, I mean, yeah, I think yeah. Nirvana they, they had a problem with that. Kurt Kurt didn't like that. Really. Well, dude, you've listened to you've listened to Bleach, right? I mean, Bleach is about as far. I mean, despite the fact that it's almost the same band, I don't think uh, Grohl had become the drummer yet on Bleach. No. I don't think he was somebody. I was the other dude, but. Those two albums are very far apart because although, you know, both really alternative rock and and all the stuff, especially for that time, I mean, Bleach was was way way underground compared to Nevermind. I mean, yeah. Nevermind was was palatable for the masses, and Bleach was. was not. Bleach was palatable for Nirvana fans. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah, and while I think, and that's where I think In Utero really uh, came back into the Nirvana fans. And I think it, everything that's been said and reported, you know, Cobain, and not just not just Cobain, but I think he's the one who he struggled it, struggled with fame and the popularity a, a whole lot more than uh, Dave Grohl and uh, Chris Novoselic. Uh, well, sure, I, I think he was he was probably uh, well. I mean. As evidenced by his unfortunate uh, suicide, I, I think that uh, that was pretty evident. Yeah, that he, that he just struggled more. Uh, that, that he had a lot more maybe demons to wrestle with than the others. Yeah, no, he definitely did. And you know, this album came out, and uh, it was everybody was expecting. I think a lot of people were expecting. Uh, Never mind part two, and they they did not want to go that route. And I I saw an interview with with, with Cobain, and this is hilarious. It must have scared the shit out of Geffen Records and everybody. <laughs> but he basically said they're interviewing the band, and they ask him, "So what's the what's your third what's your new record going to sound like?" And Kurt just turns to him or whoever the interviewer is and says, 
I think we're going to lose a lot of fans with this album. <laughs> <laughs> I like I mean, that because that, that, that takes some balls to say that. It does. It does. But, you know, we, <laughs> I will say he may have struggled with fame, but in that moment, he definitely used it to his advantage because you mm-hmm. can't you can't say that like you, you can't. Um, so. So yeah, I mean, we can you know we could talk all about Kurt, the sadness, you know, his struggle and tough times. But let's let's actually get into get into the album a little bit. And you know, I think I alluded to it earlier that they Nevermind kind of had a poppier feel, and they definitely wanted to go in a complete different direction. And that's what um, sure. kind of led them to uh, working with uh, Steve Albini, who had produced some of the albums. Uh, that they really idolized, and, and I think the most notable one that Kurt was a huge fan of was uh, the the Pixies, uh, Surfer Rosa, and that's why they really chose him and, and wanted to work with him. Yeah, um, yeah, I think that's a good place to start. And one thing before we even get into that that's interesting to me is that. Uh, I've watched a lot of interviews with Albini because I think he is a really good record producer and really underrated, but he does things in an interesting way because in the, uh, historically speaking in the record industry, the producer, they get to take a cut of any royalties Mm -hmm. as would the songwriters, uh, probably the performers, et cetera. When they recorded this album, Albini worked for a flat rate of $100,000, did not take percentage points. And I believe he's quoted as basically saying that um, you wouldn't continue to pay a plumber every time, uh, you know, like your plumbing works. It's he (laughs) did a job. Right. And that was it. And that that is a complete departure from what is standard is is standard in the industry now, and I guess uh, of course it was then, you know, back when people still made money selling records, which sure. they don't now. Um, but I think that's that's a really kind of noble approach because you see with a guy like that that he's really doing it. Um, I mean, sure he wants to get paid. I mean. Gotta make a living, dude. Shit, a hundred thousand bucks two for weeks a, for yeah <laughs> for a couple of weeks. Or I mean, that's that's not bad, but I'll take it. You, you can tell that he's he's not doing it to rip anybody off, and he's not doing it quote unquote for the money. We're not interested in money. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and and that's actually something. Um, I wanted to ask you about and and get get your thoughts maybe personally on it because the way I view it um, is creating an album. You have your producer, you have the band. Uh, it it is a to me it's a collaboration together, and you are working together. And I I do think it could be argued that some producers, when you know we talk about George Martin and. Nigel Godrich for Radiohead, they are just as valuable as some of the musicians in the band and that play on the album. So I, I, I would agree with you. And, and um yeah. I I I don't disagree with that in terms of Albini with this album because I mean, hell, just listen to how awesome the drums sound. I, I've actually it. watched like an hour long video of Albini just talking about how he did the drums on this album. Dude, that's badass. And I know that's real nerdy, but it's, <laughs> it's interesting because they sound really good. But at the same time, um, as much as I agree with that, he was the one who made that choice. It wasn't sure. like the band pigeonholed him. And, but I agree yeah. with you. I mean, incredibly integral to the overall sound of the finished product. Yeah. And that's crazy. If he, the producer, would have netted almost five hundred thousand dollars from what that album sold, 
dude imagine how much the band made <laughs> oh that's, yeah that's that's wild but yeah you know anyways so uh yeah i i did find that very interesting that you know i mean i don't think too many people are going to complain about you know a hundred thousand dollars recording at that time the most famous rock band in the world for two weeks um at their request yeah yeah exactly yeah exactly so um but yeah like we just you know just kind of spoke about it was recorded over a two-week period and they actually went to minnesota to record now you know you Mm -hmm. don't hear about too many albums being recorded in minnesota but like we've talked about before in previous episodes bands do like to kind of get away and they like to be secluded and and I think that's what they found here. True. Um, the only difference here is this wasn't like uh, we're going to go rent a mansion and get a mobile studio. If you look up the studio called Pachyderm Studio, mm-hmm. it, it is a proper studio and it is impressive to look at it. Is it? It was basically like somebody took this amazing house kind of in the middle of the woods and made an incredible studio. So I mean, they didn't they didn't just like go to a house. Um, but at the same time, in a way, I guess they kind of did because they they got away, but they just went to a a, a proper uh, marriage of a studio and a house. So yeah. probably the best of all worlds. Sure. Yeah. And. <clears throat> From my understanding, it was you know it was Albini, it was the band, and and that was it. Well, uh, Courtney, lovely Courtney. Oh yeah, Courtney yeah, Love, yeah. She showed up. She, they had just had uh, their their child, and she showed up. And apparently, uh, she was there. I don't she I don't know if she was there the whole time. I think she came a few days afterwards or something. But apparently, when she got there, um, she was critical of. Kurt Cobain's work and very confrontational. Now, that doesn't sound like Courtney Love at all. I mean, she's come yeah. across as always as a very sound and stable person. So I'm that <laughs> I, I'm I'm sure people are just trying to you know they're just trying to blame it all on Courtney, but that's not what this episode is about. So, well, um, and one thing I think that should be mentioned is I think. I think at one point, a couple of people from the record company came for a short time. And I can't see the quote in this article, but I, if if my memory serves me correctly, um, Albini was quoted as saying these people were two of the biggest fucking assholes he'd ever met. It sounds like a that, quote from him. I, I yeah. think you're fairly accurate, probably yeah, that, in that description. So, so they showed up, off. and I guess they, you know, the band was big enough that they didn't feel the need to hang around, and it was yeah. basically kind of a piss off scenario. And uh, they left them alone to do what they did, and I think it's it, good choice, rightly so, because <laughs> I, I thoroughly enjoy what they did. And one thing I like about it is that. Um, with with the exception of you know some overdubs which have to be done just for quality's sake, sure. Uh, most of it was primarily recorded live, and there were very few studio embellishments done on the album, with the exception of like you know, like I said, some basic overdubs, um, in order to get the finished product. Yeah, and I think that's. That's what they really wanted in this in this album, and I I saw that w- one of the reasons Cobain and the band really wanted Albini because uh, he had kind of a sort of a technique of capturing the the ambiance of, of a room by just placing microphones and, and, and things around. Yeah, and and that is uh, that's one that's very cool, but also recording. The, the main parts together you're recording the drums you're recording the bass and you're recording you know his guitar kind of in like you said kind of in a live a, a live session now now what i guess what does that do how is that how does that to you how does that affect the sound whereas maybe in previous albums producers didn't want to do that and they're recording you know 
well, all right, we're going to record the drums now. Now we're going to put in the bass. Now we're going to do this. Now yeah. We're gonna do like, well, there's what, a couple. What does that do? Yeah. There's a couple things to think about. Number one is the the biggest thing I think that he's going for is the atmosphere and the feeling of them playing together as a band. It's Not so much that they're in the same room. So if you look at this studio or really any other studio, you usually have like several separate rooms. One of them is a big live room where you'd set up the drums. And then you usually have rooms that are sort of isolated off to the side. And in those rooms, and again, I don't know because I wasn't there, but my gut would tell me that you would set up like, let's say, the bass amp in one room and the guitar amp in another, so that you could record all these things simultaneously but still have some amount of flexibility in terms of mixing because you're not going to get bleed between everything. Sure, because bleed. that bleeds a son of a bitch. I mean, it, it, it can ruin a recording. Yeah, if it bleeds, we can kill it for sure. Dude. Yeah. Yeah, that would, or you can't kill it, and then it's the recording forever. (laughs) (laughs) Have have, have fun with that. Yeah, it's like yeah, yeah. It's like pulling apart a grilled cheese sandwich. Yeah, it shit ain't gonna work, man. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, Yep. So, so basically, dude, this. In listening to the album, I guess I'm not surprised there wasn't a whole lot. I mean, we'll get in maybe a little bit to the, uh, I know we will get into this, um, a little later of the, the mixing kind of fiasco they had to go through, but, um, with the record company, but in a two week period, they recorded the album and mixed the album. Albini did that. So they recorded it and then he was able to mix it within five days. And he was kind of known for being able to mix an album very, very quickly. Now, legend has it, they sent tapes out and things out to the record company. Record company listened to it. And as this happens, I think more times than not, especially back in this era, they were not pleased with what they were given and the mix. And so they brought in another uh, producer mixer. Um, I believe his name was Steve Litt, who had, yeah, Steve Litt, who had yeah. worked worked with REM on a lot of their stuff. And if you can imagine REM, at least the stuff that I listen, they have a exactly Nirvana. It's not a Nirvana. Yeah. And they have a very clean, clean sound. Yes. Um, And this is quite the opposite. Quite the opposite. Sure. Very claustrophobic Um, kind of, very claustrophobic. Yes. Yeah. I'm, it feels like I'm locked in a closet sometimes in a straight. Oh yeah. Yes. Um, but so they basically brought him in, and from my understanding is he completely remixed the two singles uh, from the album, which were Heart Shaped Box and All Apologies. And then he also, I don't know if he remixed the whole album, but he definitely made adjustments to to a, a lot of the other songs. Um, well, yeah. And, Sorry. Yeah, no, no. And I, I think you and I have have discussed we've both listened to and for the listeners out there if you go and there is a deluxe edition of in utero and you can find that on on apple music and probably amazon prime as well you yeah, can actually listen you can listen to the 93 steve albini mixes of those two songs and my initial impression of their sound was i felt the drums um, is as great as a drummer Dave Grohl is. They were they were really in front of Kurt's vocals, and um, his vocals were definitely a little more in the background. And I, I don't know if I'd say they were uh, maybe they were drowned out. So there is a part of me that that understands why the record company might have a little bit of a gripe. I mean, this is you know there is some artistic liberty that you're going to take in creating this and mixing, but. There is a part of me that there, I I get it. You don't want to cut up, uh, you know, cover up the lead singer's vocals when that's what, as a company, record company, you're trying to push that and sell that. Yeah, you're making a product, and yeah, I get that. Um, I agree with you. I have also listened to Albini's mixes. Uh, the one that really comes to mind is Harp Shaped Box, and I agree. I think for the most part, it was. 
it was very similar. Um, similar enough that I have a hard time thinking that the record company really had to call somebody else in to finish the job, but regardless, that's what happened. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the drums are a little more in front. And the one thing I noticed is, was the guitar solo had this kind of like this pulsing tremolo effect on it that to me was not as pleasing as the version that we all know and love. Mm-hmm. Um, which if we're going to go that route, we could almost get into, I don't know that I'd say the, some of the other controversy of the album, but boy, do I remember that video as a kid <laughs> yeah. and l- watching that video and being like, holy shit, I Dude, hope my parents do not don't see walk this in, video right? because it is fucked uh, up. It's like, wait, <laughs> so wait, this is the CD I just bought you? This is what you're listening to? Yeah. yeah that- so there's an old guy with a Santa Claus hat on a cross and a kid and a KKK out. I mean, yeah, the... It was it was a rough video. I I have to imagine that whoever made that um Anton Corbin. Yeah. I don't know much Who's, about him, but he's a part well, he's a part of that DVD set I have, you know, with Mark Romanek and a couple oh, other guys. Oh, really? And okay. Michelle Gondry, his his um his yeah, his um work. Uh, that's that's one of his one of his videos and it is it's really dark. I mean, it's it it sets a tone. It really sets a tone, and it is dark as shit, but memorable. Yeah, it, it is definitely memorable, and it's it's kind of hard. I mean, I you know I, I love analyzing things, and I, I do have like a film background. I, I wouldn't know where to begin as far as like breaking down. Oh you know, God. That, that that video but yeah i mean he he had done um you know corbin yeah he i'm, I'm just looking dude here. tell he, me who, that he did oh shit tell me he did um what is it for Soundgarden? um black, oh, hole, black, black hole sun you know i don't see that on here because jeez i i would definitely believe that he did that one so he this is some of the ones he's done he did he did a. Uh, he's worked with Depeche Mode on three videos. He did U2's one video, uh, Nirvana Heartshape Box. He did uh, Henry Rollins Liar, Metallica Hero of the Day, and Metallica Mama Said. Uh, who else? Uh, U2 Electrical Storm, uh, video of the Killers, uh, Echo and the Bunnymen. Uh, hmm. jo- Joni Mitchell with with Peter Gabriel, My Secret Place. Um, I mean, visually, I, just from an artistic visual standpoint, it, you, know, you take the content maybe away if you're able to do that. It it's it's a great video. It's it's very well done. Oh yeah, it's for, for what sure, it is. Sure, it's just I, I just to be honest, I just don't know what the hell it's saying. <laughs> well, you're right, and and I mean, I can only relate myself back to being the age that I was when this video would come on and just thinking, Jesus, I hope my parents don't see me watching this shit, you know? Like, yeah. Yeah. Cause no. they would, you know, yeah, I can agree with that. Yeah. But yeah, all anyways, of sudden, all of a sudden you come home from to school the next day and MTV's canceled. Right. Oh dude. Yeah. yeah I don't know yeah. if you could do that in that day. It was shit. Cable. Th- yeah. yeah. Right. I think you could. So. Yeah. That was just yeah. a dark one, man. <laughs> yeah. Like I think probably the, I would argue maybe the darkest video that I can remember from the MTV era because clo- closer was a real dark one too, but it didn't. Yeah. It didn't quite show that some of the stuff that that one did. But well, that's the thing. It's kind of like it's kind of like Spinal Tap. Smell the glove, right? The question is whether you know she was the victim, yeah, right. And so, <laughs> in, so in Closer, Trent Reznor's what's the wrong? victim, right? Yeah. What's so, wrong with being sexy? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, whereas you know, when you look at Heart Shaped Box, like you got this old dude and this little kid and 
Yeah, um, you're just go, like I can go bad places yeah. real quick. Uh, anyways, uh, <laughs> getting into this. the tracks. Yeah, getting into the tracks. So, um, uh, yeah, of course, you know, yeah, this this went to number one right right away. It sold 15 million copies. Blah blah blah. Of course, you know, it just oh, first off, like before we get into this, the overall impression of the album, to me, it's it's. I personally have to be in the mood to listen to this. This is not this is not the type of album, you know, you're going to put on, you know, with the family in the car on your way to grandma and grandma's no. house for Sunday afternoon dinner, right? That's just, yeah, No, that's, I, I typically listen to this album by myself. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I I love it for that, but yeah, I um <laughs> I think I have listened to some of it with my youngest daughter, but I mean, probably not like radio friendly unit shifter. No, I haven't gotten to that one yet. Huh? You haven't, you haven't shown her the heart shaped box video. I mean, <laughs> mm, mm. no, listen to the song. song yeah. Well, not the video. Yeah. Not the video. Uh, what? Uh, well, we'll get into the song and some of, some of the lyrics as well. Cause first yeah, off, they're, they're rough. And, the album tracks before we even get into the songs, the, the the names of the tracks on this album, I I love because they are just so weird and different, yeah. and it's they're they're just fun to say because they just are. It's it's mm-hmm. such it's such just a weird. A weird Frances Farmer will have her revenge on Seattle. I mean, yeah, it's like God, how'd you come up with that one? Which I do have an idea of how they came up with it, but um, so getting into the album here, brother. Um, one of the things I do want to say is apparently I heard that in the non-U.S. copies of this CD, there was a, a hidden track, actually. And the name of that hidden track is called Gallons of Rubbing Alcohol Flow Through the Strip. And on the deluxe edition, it is included not as a hidden track, and it's a seven minute and thirty five second song. Now I haven't listened to it. I haven't played for it because, to be honest, I just dropped the ball. But no, understa- it's, it's not in the album. Yeah, my understanding is when they were in Brazil on a tour, that's when they recorded a lot of these, a lot of demos for what would become the In Utero album. And I think they sent that to to Albini, and this this was part of those those sessions. And so I don't think they ever even officially recorded this song. It was just, they're like, fuck it. We're just going to throw the demo on the end because it's that good. I mean, first of all, a song with that name, that's amazing. And it's seven minutes and 35 seconds. So I'm sure it goes lots of places. God, I want to listen. Well, yeah. After after this episode. Dude, I, we could probably just do a whole episode on that song. You know? <laughs> so, um, anyways, let's get into it, dude. Let's get into it. So. Serve the servants. Oh, serve the servants. Um, I like this because okay. he's basically. I think the 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 crux of this song is the whole business of teenage angst has paid off well. Now I'm bored alone. So it's basically like this. Is like I I I became successful uh, because of never mind. Now yeah. what the hell do I do? Right, it's kind of how I drugs. read that. Drugs, yeah, the drugs, yeah. No, I, I um, yeah, and I for for me, it, it what I found to be interesting is everything leading up to this album was like we're gonna make it not poppy or not friendly, and it's just you know basically we're gonna try to alienate everybody. To me, I don't know if I'd call it poppy, but it's. Um, more but, poppy than a lot on this song. but yeah but it has like a, kind Agreed. of a, as dark as his lyrics and things might be at times you know this song has a real upbeat feel to me um yep i agree and i, and I, I, I absolutely just, agree yeah i i just you know the drums are big and full there's some distorted guitar but i just think it's a really good rock song and i i love it i think it's a great way yep. to start the album and it's you know dave Grohl just starts kind of with the drum count off and boom it hits and off we go yeah so. Uh, I, I, it's, it is one of my favorite songs on the album. Yeah, me too. <clears throat> and that, that moves, Hello? moves us oh, right. sorry. Uh, yeah, no, that moves us right into a scentless apprentice. Now, 
A couple things about The Scentless Apprentice. Uh, I hope there's more than a couple. Uh, Number one, I do like the song. I would urge any listener uh, of this show and this album to, after listening to The Scentless Apprentice, listen to the song Spanish Castle Magic. By the Jimi Hendrix Experience, I believe it's on elect. Uh, no, it's on Axis Bold as Love, Is it? and you will hear a lot of similarities between those two tracks. Now, really? not to say that one, yeah, hey, you just get that. Okay, hey, you just listen to that song and tell me there isn't a very distinct um, correlation there. But anyways, yeah. Well, I like um, one thing I like about that song a lot is that the guitar at at time there's that it kind of has this saw rotating kind of almost like you got like yeah. a mix mix master inside and you're just spinning around this metal bowl. I don't there's mm-hmm. just that in that yeah, sound that. is so distinct. I've never heard a sound I don't think like that on an album and. I, I, it's cool. I, it's just cool. I just like it. Uh, no, it is. And another thing, I, I watched an interview with Cobain, and he actually talks about that this song is based on a book that he was reading about what? this. Um, I Appren- can't remember the name of the that book. Was scentless? Well, no, he had no sense of smell. I believe was was the crux of that, but anyways, it makes, when you say it like that, it makes perfect sense. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Well, and I love you know, Kurt. We were talking about in in one of the previous episode, we were talking about um, Robert Plant's Primal Screams. Kurt lets out some Primal oh. Screams in this one, saying "Go away" multiple times. Now, if that's yeah. not a sign, I don't know what is. Yep, yep. I hear you. Yeah. And it takes you right into Heart Shape Box. Yes. Was this My, the, was this the first single or was All Apologies the first single? No, this was this the one first. Was. I, okay. I th- yeah, because this was the music video. And dude, yeah. despite rock radio ruining so many singles, I can still listen to this song over and over and over again. Like I love this song. Dude, it, it is a really, it's really so dark, and it's it it's just awesome. I I, I just love the um, the guitar riff on the intro. It's yeah, just real simple and clean. And then the song, it's kinda, almost kind of bluesy in, yeah. in a weird way. I mean, well, I think my actually. So, spoiler alert: this will not be my, my scratch. Um, oh, my. Hell my my actual favorite part of the whole album is I believe about two thirds of the way through the song, there is that, um, that guitar. I, I don't know what it is. Uh, the guitar really just rings out. It rings out and it. Oh it yeah. Yeah. It for yeah, a while. yeah. But then there's that. It's, it's like a cut. Eh. It's, it's a, it's a chop that just comes yeah. in and almost kind of skips. I don't know why I like that, but I think it's to me, it's just like, it's just so cool. I, I don't know why when I hear that, I'm like, dude, I, oh, I'd love it. It's I know just exactly such, what part you mean. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I really do love that. He just lets it ring and yeah, and, it comes right and, back and, in. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, and so we've discussed that. We've also discussed um, how amazing the video is. Yeah. Um, that, that leads us into number four, uh, Rape Me, which... I can automatically see from the beginning that can be very putting off to to some people. This we should say I don't believe this is anything about any sort of you know, physical rape. This is emotional. No, it's, and it's like it's, the media yeah. is as far as I've ever understood this. Yeah, yeah, and it and it makes sense. They they made it big. They became yeah, they, they became the the biggest band in the world. And this was just kind of a big fuck you. To, to all of them because all these people when you make it that big they want to know you they want to interview you they want a piece of you they everybody you get all these people who who want to latch on and latch mm-hmm. on to your name for what it's going to do for them and yeah. i really i really feel that's what 
this this song is about. And I also feel like it's a little kind of a little poke and a little pun for me. I mean, I'm not a musician. I don't know about notes and chords and all that. But just the intro with the guitar riff and everything, it's it's very um, smells like Teen Spiritish yeah. to me. Yeah, I, and I, then I it and then it totally goes off. And yeah. I think that's that's pretty cool. Um, and w- another cool thing about this song is at the 1992. Now I, I don't know exactly why you know the times are, but at the 1992 MTV Music Awards, they wanted to play this song, so it must have been in whatever in in creation at that point. I think MTV said no. They ended up playing Lithium, but what Kurt did right when they went on, he plays the first, he plays the intro guitar part and sings Rate Me a couple of times, and then they stop and then they play Lithium. And that's oh, just that's so, sweet. And that's just so like, yeah, because we can suck it, right? Yeah. Uh, I, I just thought it was really, really cool. So if you, you can YouTube that and look up the, you know, Nirvana uh, 92 MTV Music Awards, and, and it'll show you that clip. I, it's just really oh, funny. I will. That's, yeah. that's pretty awesome. Yeah, it's, it's really funny to me. So moving on, Graham, moving on. Frances Farmer will have her revenge on Seattle. Now, will she ever? if I'm not mistaken, Frances Farmer is the name of uh, him and Courtney's daughter. Francis is. I don't know. No, actually, I'll... I will correct you. I don't know if it's Francis Farmer. Francis Farmer was actually in, she was an actress. Um, oh. Years and years ago in Seattle, dude. She was committed and given electroshock therapy and I believe may have had a frontal lobe lobotomy, if that makes sense. I could be completely wrong. So she's the one who's going to wow. have the revenge. But that's not to say that they did not name their daughter after um, after her. Wow. I, wow. That is okay. That is, uh, an awesome level of detail. I was not aware of, but it actually makes more I dig sense. Deep, Graham. I dig deep. With the right. yeah, dude, you do, man. You're not, you're, uh, yeah, you're I'm hitting bottom, not just scraping the sides. No. Um, no. <laughs> so yeah, that's, uh, wow. Okay. But it, it makes more sense with the lyrics, to be honest with you. Yeah, yeah, no, no, it does. Um, and there's, you know, the line. I, I there's so many, I, and I, again, I don't want to get into uh, the whole depression suicide aspect of this. But after the fact, you you can look back at people's lyrics and things that they've said. Sure, and, sure. and it all How makes sense. Uh, it's like, oh well, there was a cry for help, right? Mm-hmm. The one one of the lines in this this song is I miss the comfort of being sad. And that is repeated you know many times I think or it's at least yeah. said once and to me that's just so telling of of a lot of issues and I'm well, not purporting okay. to be a psychologist by any means but No, I hear you, but then let's go to the next one dumb because also, I would argue is is in some way uh, sort of in that vein. I'm not like them, but I can pretend. I yeah. mean, the, the the first line of the song in Dumb, and it, it also to... kind of screams out for that. Like, I I don't fit in. Yep, yep, yeah. No, I I think it definitely is. In that song, I I enjoy that song. It's it's pretty. It's it's I think the softest song on on the album. It's straightforward. There's some really nice strings in the background that I I, mm-hmm. I I I do like. It just has a nice a nice feel to it. I can't say anything musically really stands out, but uh, but to me it's 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 a little catchy, and and I yeah, do I, I do is. like that I do like that part. Um, now to me equally as catchy, but in a very weird and different way is very ape. Um, very it's it it's very I, I wish it was longer than a minute and 56 seconds because i could i could probably take it for another five minutes but i get yeah. why they had to do what they had to do i agree yeah and um it has yeah it is oh, to me it has a very very cool guitar sound it's kind of money and distorted but the song moves oh, yeah. and, and then there's a part where it, it, it it's a little um 
Uh, it also has like this kind of uh, high guitar sound too. That sounds a little strange. It's it's yeah, yeah. very it, it, I know very contrasty. Uh, but yeah, I agree. It's it's under two minutes. It's very short, uh, and it's very ape. So, <laughs> but but dude, they made up for it with milk it because oh, milk it, dude. If it wasn't for heart shaped box, milk it would probably be my favorite on the album. I mean, it's just. I don't title alone. Uh. I don't really understand what it's about and I I don't want to. Yeah. I've read the lyrics. They don't make sense to me, Nope. but I, it does not detract me from listening to it over and over and over. And I just, that, that, there's a diminished fifth in that part of that. Okay. I, a son of a Just bitch. I can listen to it over and over and yeah. over. Like it does not get old to me. Yeah. Well, one of my favorite lines in that song is her milk is my shit. My shit is her my milk. shit is her milk. I, I mean, what more needs to be said? I think we just yeah. move on to fucking Penny Royalty after that. Yep. Uh, yeah, and and there's your cherry flavored ass. Oh, dude, I mean, I I love. It. That's the thing. I mean, we talked about milk it. The lyrics not making sense to me. And Penny Royalty, a lot of the lyrics don't don't make sense too. But I I love what they are. I, I love well just, at least just random Royalty, little things. But yeah, I could I could almost like picture with penny royal tea like maybe somebody not feeling good and they want to drink tea and cherry flavored antacids and stuff like you gotta wash it it down. makes more sense than like my you know her shit <laughs> is my milk whatever it's like. milk or, yeah <laughs> <laughs> you know yeah yeah but with enough penny, hair with enough well, heroin it all makes sense I it guess. does it does but with penny royalty as as a song it kind of is a good a good rock song it actually i believe was oh, sure. going was going to be a third single and they, they canceled it for some reason i'm not sure if that was after kurt's death they didn't want to release another one or something i don't, I don't know but hmm. you know um yeah, I, don't know. I, I like the way the song moves and it kind of has the classic kurt raspy vo- yeah vo- I, I agree it, to me it, it is an absolute classic nirvana song no mm-hmm. question Moving on to the next <laughs> one. Another class, yeah. Radio-friendly cla- unit shifter. Just another classic title. And I I, I love the title. Uh, it's, uh, yeah, I, I don't I don't really know what else to say. But, I, I mean, I love the, the, it's got a great driving guitar part. And it's, it's kind well, of all over the place. I'll be honest. When that song starts, mm-hmm. I've I've played guitar my whole life. And I've had an electric guitar since I was 11 or 12 years old. And, dude, I don't understand how to get feedback like they got at the <laughs> beginning of that song where it's just like, like it just, I can't, it, can't do it, man. It doesn't make sense. Like, Some, I, I don't know how, how loud do you have to turn your amp up to get that kind of feedback? Dude, some things in this world just weren't meant to be replicated. That's, that's yeah. what it is. Yeah. Yeah. And that's no, but, where you get that isolation room with like your amp just as loud as it could go. And you just hold your guitar up to the window and dude, you take it to 11, man. One louder. Take it to 11. <sighs> dude, at least. Uh, speaking of one louder, Tourette's. Tourette's. Yeah. Or, or speaking of 11, I should say, Tourette's. Yeah. Um, I, I like this one. It's, it's really kind of weird and short and dark, but they do a really cool version of it. Um, also on their live album, Muddy Banks of the Wishka, which they affectionately call out the title as The Eagle Has Landed. Um, Interesting. But I don't know. There's something about it I like. It just, it just, it's really, um, it's just really heavy and unapologetic and just driving. Well, I like, uh, I love Dave Grohl's uh, drumming on. Uh, on this song i just think he, mm-hmm. he totally kicks ass and then there's just there's just like lots of screaming and stuff yeah. going on um and really what more do you Quintessential need nirvana yeah 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 i mean dude if, you know the like kurt said we you know we're gonna lose some fans with this album i i there's i have a feeling a lot of the fans probably weren't listening to this one on repeat they probably just skipped right over to our next track uh which was the second single and 
pretty awesome. Uh, all apologies. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, um, take it on. Oh, shit. <laughs> As someone who likes all the weird tracks on this album, I mean, I don't know how you couldn't like this song. It is just, it was, it was a, a radio hit for them. Um, it was a radio friendly unit shifter, that's for sure. Yeah, I, I don't necessarily remember it being on MTV. Yeah, I don't know if there's a video. There might be a video. I don't remember a video for this, but I mean, the song's always been on the radio, and it's a good song. I, I would, I would, uh, I don't particularly care for the radio, but every time I've heard it on the radio, I turn it up. I'm, it's, it's just a, it's a classic Nirvana song, and and honestly, a, a really good way to end an album that, in a lot of ways could be a little off-putting to some people. I love it, but I totally. can see why for every it's not for everyone. You know, it's interesting cuz I I'm I'm wondering if this was this this day and age where people don't really make music videos anymore and there's not I mean there's singles, but let's just say there was no music video or there were no singles and you're a Nirvana fan of Nevermind and you buy this album and you put it on I wonder if you make it this far, <laughs> you know, because well, there know, are some there are some landmines, dude. Like, there are that some landmines now in the days of true LPs, like true vinyl records. Maybe you didn't, but you know as well as I do, because I I bought a couple CDs in my days that mm-hmm. I thought were turds. But I'll at least skip to each song and give them somewhat of a listen i was just like give them 10 seconds like dude if they don't catch you with the intro you're kind of like e next one but you'd catch them with the intro all apologies i mean to be fair you would oh i would yeah it did for me it did for me yeah so that brings us to our scratches dude all right screwdrivers out bro yeah man you know i i remember saying with the uh with the gray album with danger mouse that that might have been my to date, that might have been my toughest album to pick. And there's a part of me that thinks, shit, this 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 might be my second. Uh, oh, because, but dude, Dark Side of the Moon? Uh, yeah. yeah. I know. Okay, okay. But I know. There's never an easy pick but dude, for a good you, album. Dude, we have songs like Very Ape, Milk It. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, where do you start? And I mean, you know, but man, and I'm really struggling. Like, I think I'm probably almost making up my mind right now. I mean, if pressed, I, I probably would have to say Tourette's just because radio friendly unit shifter is, is so cool and unique. And then I'm, Oh, just the title alone. Yeah. And then after I get to that, I, I have no problem getting right to all apologies. Um, okay, but, I, but damn, I do love Dave Grohl's drumming on it. But ugh. yeah, I'll, I'll go with Tourette's. I love that title too, though. But yeah, I think so. Yeah, Tourette's. Okay, Tourette's. What do you got? Rate me, dude. Oh no! Easily, easily for me. Like oh. musically, I I feel like it. It's just a big. Circle, like I understand the whole statement and it's all for, that it's stuff. It's formulaic. It is. It's formulaic. But to me, it's it's just one that, honest to God, if I'm listening to the album, I probably just pass by it anyways because it Damn. just. Uh, wow. I guess I can. I. I, I. To me, the the intro of the song is just very hard to listen to. Really, and it's not. It's not even the lyrics. It's just I just don't really dig it that much. Okay. Um, well, I don't dig you that much. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough, dude. Right now, but yeah. That's kind of, well. That that's one I can skip. Yeah, that's you know? fair. No, I. I I get it. I sure as shit isn't going to be Francis Farmer will have oh, a revenge no. at Seattle. No, you know if there's another one, I I probably. And I say this now, there was a time where I probably would never skip it. But one that I would throw in there for myself would be dumb. 
Uh, oh, really? Okay. Yeah, I've I, always I, liked Dumb. I, I do, and I and I do like it. I, I do like it, and it has a good feel to it. Uh, but when I think about it, there's nothing to me personally that stands out like musically or instrumentally. I, I think it's it is okay. another formulaic song, but it's also one that I can I can kind of hum and kind of be like, oh yeah, you know, I like it. So. I guess I always just related to that one more on a personal level because when you think about this, when this album like came out, you know, and we're we're kids basically. I mean, we're in like middle school. Yeah. I mean, who in who in middle school can't relate to like the whole? I'm not like them, but I can pretend. Yeah, like the like this whole business of fitting in and and identifying with these people who, in many instances, you probably think are a bunch of assholes. Yeah, no, and and that does that. that, that But I guess for me, that that was just me. But that I I I certainly see your point, dude. We totally fit in, man. We totally fit. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, let's see. You're scratching rape me. I'm scratching Tourette's. And uh, no tiebreaker today, dude. No, no, no tiebreaker today. No tiebreaker today. That was a good one. Yeah. And uh, one yeah, our, we'll what, see what what next our, week's episode has in store. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I don't even know if we've fully finalized our albums for that. So we'll talk about that offline, and uh, we'll we'll keep all of you all of you uh, on edge because I'm sure you can't wait. I mean, I can't wait. It's going to be great. So so for everyone out there, thank you again for listening. We both uh, appreciate it greatly. Feel free to um, continue. Follow us everywhere. We are, again, on all social media stuff. Tell your friends about us. Anybody who's into music or not into music, just, you know, it's something to listen to. I mean, this day and age with the state of things, you probably don't have a whole lot going on. You might as well check out the Dude and Grim show. So. I mean, come on. Yeah, come the on. intro alone. It's pretty solid, yes. Yeah. And, if you can, and then I know if you can make it past the intro, you ain't turning it off. So, <laughs> having said that, thank you everyone. We appreciate it. Much scratch obliged. a track, scratch a track, dude and grim. We're out. Happy scratching. Scratch you later. Scratch a track is produced by the dude and grim. Additional music provided by Moore, that's dot, 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 M-O-R-E, and the Tims, T-I-M-N-Z. Copyright 2020, The Dude and Grim Show. <laughs>